Hello there and welcome to Racehorse Movies, the show where two film fans take a racing sheet from last week, pick a random horse name for each other and from that name pitch a movie. In the pitch, to flesh out our movie ideas, we may include such things as stars, directors, composers, best boys and stable boys. Maybe not that last one. Hoping none of our ideas have to be put behind a screen and shot. The sky's the limit, the horses are on the starting line, the jockeys are frothing. It's time for Racehorse Movies. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Racehorse Movies. My name is Graham Thomas, and I'm joined by the mighty, the manly, the musky, Mr. Luke Searle. How are you? Mm, hello there, everyone. I'm doing marvellously. Thank you so much for asking. And <laughs> Graham, may I say what a delightful introduction that was, and how accurately you hit all of my main tenets <laughs> of being. <laughs> oh, I've got all a quiver. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Cheers, Steve. That was a lovely introduction. Hello, everyone. How are we all doing? Well, we hope you're all doing very well. We have a wonderful episode coming up for you today. I'm quite excited about this. I've got a little surprise in line for you all and for Mr. Searle, who I haven't told him about what the surprise is, because that would ruin the surprise, and we don't mind doing that. I didn't even pre-tell him that we had a surprise. So, yeah, Luke's, Luke is now sweating. Uh, excellent. That, that's two minutes Two minutes into the uh, to the episode, mm. and, and Luke's got some flop sweat on. Thank you, Graham. But anyway, how are you, my man? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm really well. I am... Uh, uh, excitedly getting ready for a festival tomorrow, so I'm very much looking forward to visiting uh, the End of the Road Festival, which is my annual festival, which I'm going to with my brother and my uh, very good friend, so I'm extremely excited about that and getting ready to wind down for five days or so. Have you seen anything you wish to discuss, talk about, mention? Uh, well, I've got one that we've talked about uh, in the flesh, I believe, but haven't mentioned on the show yet, which I'll bring up, but uh, just very quickly, I, I watched uh, Barbie. Um, oh, nice. Hell of a lot of fun with that film, man. Quite yeah, it's great, isn't it? It it reminded me um, how long it's been since I saw a comedy at the cinema. I yeah, can't remember laughing as much as I did during. I, I laughed a lot during uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, but that mm -hmm. was there was a lot more to it than just a well, as there arguably is with Barbie, actually, yeah. man. But it was really. Everything, everyone wants you kind of forget the laughter towards the end because they're just crying your eyes out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the minute the rocks show up, it's... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting, like, massive googly eyes on my glasses yes. to try and hide my tears. Uh, so, Barbie. Yeah, so, so you I just... Oh, I loved it. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It had me mm. laughing for the entire movie, as I said, that, and that and that reminded me that I haven't done that in such a long time. So I yeah. got a double whammy of, like, pleasure just from, from the doing and then being like, oh, it's been so long. Oh, this is a... Comedy that works, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really good. Nice. What about you? Have you uh, anything else that you've cast your delightful eyes upon, sir? Um, three things, two of which came at the same time, or one after the other. Yesterday at the Prince Charles Cinema, I saw a double bill in 35mm <sighs> of The Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which was... Wonderful. Obviously, we love oh, those movies. They're heavens. absolute masterpieces. Um, it's been a while since I've seen them. It's been a long time since I saw them back to back and even longer since I saw them in the cinema. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I saw those two films. And oh, on the other end, my, my third film, the, on the other end of that scale, in terms of spectacle and production, and uh, I saw a very cute, very sweet British film that's just been released called Scrapper, which was out at the oh, cinema. Oh, yes, I saw that advertised. 
bags of charm. It's about a young girl, Georgie, who's 12 years old and she lives on a council estate in East London and her mother has recently passed away, a single parent family. Mother has recently passed away and this 12-year-old girl, the scrapper of the title because she is a kind of a wheeler and dealer. She's got her head screwed on. She's living in the house on her own and she's tricking social services that her un- that her uncle whom she's named Winston Churchill is, <laughs> is like, which is such a great That's idea brilliant. for a 12 year old yeah. they would just think of like an adult name yeah. as Winston Churchill um, she, she gets her the new guy at the news agent to record voice prompts on her phone and she plays it down the telephone <laughs> to the social services so they leave her alone she's living in this house on her own and making ends meet by stealing bikes and respraying them and stuff mm-hmm. and then her uh, estranged father who left her when she was a baby um, comes and ingratiates himself back into her life to try and reconnect with her and obviously she doesn't know who this stranger is he just turns up he climbs up he doesn't even come to the front door he climbs over the back fence of the house and just walks into the house Jesus and like who is this person so they it's the kind of how these two people who have severe arrested development kind of come together and, and you know bond and contrast with each other in conflict. Uh, it's a first-time um, film from a director with Charlotte Regan, and it's a really tender, beautiful, charming, charming film. And I think the lead actor, uh, whose name I don't know, Lola Campbell, sorry, yeah. the lead actor who plays Georgie, I think it was an open casting, or like a found casting. She wasn't um, didn't have any prior acting experience, awesome. and she's so good. And the father is played by... Um, Harris Dickinson, rising actor. He was in. Um, I think I know him. He was in Triangle of Sadness. Oh, he was, okay. he was the, boy, the boyfriend in Triangle of Sadness. Right. Oh, nice. He was in um, The King's Man. Mm-hmm. He's a really, really great actor. And he's very, very naturalistic. And um, it's not a perfect movie. Um, there are a few f- um, elements, I think. Didn't quite work for me. I won't spoil them, but there's a few like moments or stylistic choices peppered mm-hmm. throughout the film that felt it just broke the tone or broke the heart of the film with the the artifice of these flourishes that happen throughout. And I thought, I think if you remove them, the film would only be strengthened because they don't add anything to the narrative yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you just remove them, it would be perfect. But I think Robbie Collin reviewed it and he said, which I agree with, he said that. It's your first film, so if you can't do these kind of things in your first film, when, when are you can you get be away with it? Like you put all your cards on the table. Yeah, yeah, that's and, it. Uh, yeah. So, and it's a very lovely eighty-three minutes. Oh, there we go. Beautiful. There we go. There we go. Cool. So that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been up to. That's what we've been watching. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate that uh, mm. recommendation. I've made a note. I'll, I'll get on that, especially the eighty-three minutes. That sounds tantalising. <laughs> so that's how we get <laughs> our bottoms on seats, isn't it? <laughs> it is. All I do is I, I, I now just sort Netflix from shortest to the longest, <laughs> and just work my way up until about ninety-four, and then I'm out. Then I'm out. Yeah. Nice. All righty. So that's us. So I reckon we should. Uh... Should we uh, hitch some horses? Let's pitch some horses. Off we go. <laughs> okay, so we are at the 6pm at Thursk, which had, I believe, 13 runners, of which I gave you Jones Angel and you gave me Starlight Stanley. Starlight Stanley, mm. yes, I absolutely did. And I believe that I went first last time. No, 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 no. So I think, I think you should go first this time, if that's okay with you. All right, then, man. Okay. So, Graham, are you ready? Now, 
over the last couple of weeks, there's been a little bit of violence, but it's been quite violence-free. It's been pretty hopeful. Goff Luke has stowed away all of his uh, proclivities and his eyeliners and his uh, sadness. But... Uh, all these things we repress uh, bubble up and come <laughs> back stronger, Graham. Oh, God. Here we go. So, uh, <clears throat> Are we going to have a sweepstake of how many child murders happen at pre-credits in this <laughs> yeah. film? And dude, I'm going to guess 10. I wrote so many, even I have lost track. It's um, the film called Jones Angel, colon, of death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> all right, so, Jones Angel, uh, let me take you all to uh, the Appalachian Trail, Graham. Deep in the woods. But before that, we're going to open the film with uh, the skinning, bloodletting and preparation of a rabbit. Mm -hmm. Strong, gnarled hands are working deftly on it. We've got the sound of the forest surrounding us. There's a rifle next to the bench that this rabbit's getting skinned on. There's glimpses of a cabin in the background. There's a whine of a dog. The hands rip off the skin in one smooth, sharp tug and smash cut to Joan in her 30s. We meet her on her last video call or whatever with her best mate. She sat at a camping spot out in the middle of nowhere. She's got the car behind her. She's got, she's, sorry, she's in the car. She's got the tent on the roof. Uh, she's got like a little kayak folded up on the back and whatnot and is mm. prepping for a nice little, uh, nice little time out in the forest, a bit of R&R, man. And then suddenly there's this roar of bikes and this stops her from sort of talking for a second. Uh, and this is where we're introduced to uh, Gregory Toussaint and his low-level gang. And he leads this crusty-looking procession of uh, uh, a flatbed Ford and a bunch of sort of scramblers and dirty bust-up little bikes sort of following in its wake. Mm. Uh, one of the bikes sort of peels off from the procession and comes next to Joan's car. Hey, pretty lady, all of that kind of nonsense. She just rolls the window up and completely ignores him. Uh, he's about to step off his bike and then another biker shouts, comes over to him, shouts him to leave the fuck alone. And uh, the flatbed Ford revs and Gregory hangs his head out the window and bellows, get, stop fucking around and get! <laughs> and the men sort of like drop straight in line and they follow, man. Joan wraps up the call. She heads off on a smaller footpath, not the sort of access road that these guys have gone steaming up in, into the peace. <laughs> nice. It's green, it's verdant, it's beautiful. The tinkling of the river in the distance, the scuttering of animals in the underbush, it's absolute paradise, man. She's taking a few snaps with her camera, just having a really nice time, man. She's settling into the rhythm of the walk. She's getting calm. <laughs> we cut back to the bikers. We see them now... Uh, roll up at the place they were heading to, this sort of secluded, rough-looking shod clearing, surrounded by very dense forest, and they start just, like, setting things up. Gregory Toussaint gets out of his car, limping with this knee in a brace that's rusted and has been there for probably about half of his life by the look of it. And he says, Real good, boys, real good. <laughs> Deal is done! We's about to get paid, so fucking eat. <laughs> Shindig and shoes. The boys start pulling out barbecues and bourbon, man. The flatbed truck gets let down. They start to cut loose the gang, man. We see them wrestling, whooping, pulling out a barbecue, as I said. And as this is all going on, sort of the camera which sort of starts to pull focus into Gregory, uh, stood at the back. He's not whooping or wrestling or doing any kind of celebrating. He's having a real nice head-to-head -head with his number two, Dick's Holiday. What's his and name? Dick's Holiday. Dick's, Dick's Holiday, D-I-X. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't hear what they're saying at first. Um, we're kind of more, more still sort of wrapped up in this party that's happening. And then we, we zoom in a little tighter and we just see Gregory look to uh, Dick's and say, uh, he check out? And Dick says, nope. 
Gregory just gives him a nod and Dix turns and we see him reaching into the back of his waistband. So we're back to Jackie and we, we are then, we focus on two of these guys, Jackie and mm-hmm. Cobb, who've been like wrestling. These are the guys that we think the, that Gregory and uh, Dix were talking about. They push away from each other, laughing, swearing, having a grand old time. Cobb goes, grabs this American football from the back of the forebed. He fucking absolutely hoofs it towards uh, Jackie and goes off way into the forest. Jack's run, Jackie runs to get it. And then we cut back to Joan. Mm-hmm. She's taking a few snaps. She's having a real snow white old time out there, man. When suddenly this football comes crashing down through the trees and just smacks down into a bush next to her. And then Jackie breaks through the foliage and he raises a hand and he's sort of sort of to greet her and well, if it ain't the pretty girl. And then bang, his head's gone. Yes. She is absolutely covered in gore. She waits a beat for Jackie's body to slump down. She hasn't reacted yet. She's breathless, she's building up to a scream, and then she sees dicks in the background behind the slumping Jackie. She slams her hands over the mouth, and then her mate calls back. Phone goes off, <laughs> Dick spots her, she gets the hell out of there. She turns, she runs, man. Cue this frantic, scrabbling, tumbling chase. A crack mm. or two of pistol shots, rifles behind her. Limbs of trees are like tearing at her. She's falling, she's rolling, she's dodging in and out of the trees. Voices, shouts, tentative whizzing shots. <laughs> so, now we cut away from this action and we see that same rifle that we saw um, at the start of the movie when we saw the skinning of a rabbit. And we just got this like mid shot on some legs, a rifle being held by a side and a dog sitting next to that rifle. The dog's ears perk up and a growl hits real deep in its throat as it starts to hear some gunshots. And then just from above the dog, you hear a voice said, easy boy. And this is where Annie Coot Norton enters the scene and Kilburn, her Alsatian. Another shot, this has got Annie's attention. Her and the dog break into a quick trot. They break out over this sort of ledge, dropping down to this body of water. Uh, They see sort of figures running on the other side of the river. You see sort of Joan running slightly ahead of these two other guys that are chasing after her. So Annie picks up the rifle, shoulders it again. All of her actions, we see the running, we see the working with it. It's all very deliberate and very measured and there's no panic or anything about her at all. She almost seems curious as she's doing this. Bang, there's a shot, goes off. We see Joan fall, she stumbles, she hits smack bang into the water and she's rolling down, she's going out of sight. Annie shoulders the rifle, um, and it's a move as smooth and deliberate as the skinning of a rabbit. She goes, oh, that's that then. She walks away. Kilburn stays at the edge of the, uh, the uh, overlook. She's whimpering. She's, get, damn it, over here, dog. He continues to whimper. Annie reluctantly brings the sights up. She's looking down the scope of her rifle. And just in the distance, she can see Jones surface uh, from the water and the arms waving. And he puts the gun down, sighs, fuck. Starts the brisk, regimented jog down the riverbank towards where Joan is being swept. So now we cut back to the two guys that were chasing uh, poor Joan. Uh, one of them, Ringworm, he's on the edge of the river, breathless. He's quite elated from the thrill of the chase. And behind him is a dude called Cobb Fowler. He's looking pretty nervous. He's got wild eyes. He's still absorbing the fact that his mate Jackie got blown away. And he says, look, uh, look, just go back 
like I'll go back and I'll just say like uh, everything, everything fine. She's dead. She went in the water. You hit her. We saw it, man. And Ringworm's like, I ain't even seen her bleed. You think that old <laughs> bastard will take that weak ass kind of talk from me? And Cobb's like, is his no. name Ringworm? Ringworm. Yeah, it's his name. <laughs> Ringworm. And uh, <laughs> and Cobb is like, look, well. I don't give a shit what you think, man. I'm going to go back and I'm telling them she's gone and you can run around here all the time you want, man, but we're going to get back because no one's in the mood for doing anything, especially chasing through the woods all fucking night after what's just happened, man. So we cut back to Joan now and she's floating down the water in the fizz and the bubbles and the madness and she struggles to the bank. Bag's gone. She heaves herself up, bleeding from the shoulder a little bit and where the bullet whizzed past, she's completely dazed. She's gathering herself together. She's taking a bit of a physical inventory, seeing what's going on. Uh, looking down, rips a strip off the shirt, wraps it around the arm, where where the blood is coming from, obviously, and then looks over at the far side of the river, wishing that she could get over there and try and get some distance between her and the guys who are fast approaching. And then suddenly there's a crashing of feet and Ringworm is on her before she can even think about moving. He's got his gun drawn immediately, he's gulping, and the two of them are stood metres apart from each other, and she's just frozen. He's kind of frozen because <laughs> he ain't necessarily ready to blow any on the way, as much as Ringworm <laughs> likes to shout about that with his mates uh, when he's had a few, yeah. uh, few jars in him, man. And then he clicks back the hammer, and bang! His chest just vaporized, man. Annie has blown the guy away from a distance. She's... Annie's the predator. Joan turns, runs, stops for a second, doubles back for the gun, and all of this we're witnessing through the sights of Annie. And Annie just goes, good girl. So we cut back to the clearing, the music and fun and food and all that kind of malarkey's gone, and it's just replaced by Gregory losing his shit, man. <laughs> Who is fucking this? Who's fucking that? And all the fuck to hell, man. Cobb breaks through at the middle of this rant. Uh, terrible timing, Mr. Cobb. He's completely breathless. Gregory rips him up by his lapels. Where the fuck is she? Have you got a kid? And Cobb's like, look, she's dead. Gregory is starting now. He's like, right, we got access roads all the way down this side. And we got the river there, man. I'm going to go around on the access road in the Ford because I ain't walking shit on this knee. You boys, you're flushing her out. You're bringing her out to me. You either catch her or you get her in front of me. And that's what we're going to do. Now move. Everyone, get on. So we're going to have Joan just sort of surviving. She knows that she can't go back. So we're going to have at this point there'll be, and we're going to have a bunch of these gang members, man. They're just, they are all there uh, for fodder, obviously. And I want to have, uh, at this point, I want Joan to uh, come up against one of the gang members again. Uh, and I want there to be a Lynx attack. I want to have like a Lynx. Nice. Joan squares off against the Lynx. She's like already bleeding. The Lynx is very interested about this. She's <laughs> backing up, she's backing up. Other member of the gang comes in and she's just like, oh, sweet, high five. I'm out of here, man. It absolutely right. starts to savage him. Joan slips away. Um, Can we have, um, sorry, before no. the gang member interrupts, Joan like, is like maybe fends off a little link that the first link like throws a rocket in. It's like okay, cool, and then she turns around. And then there's another link and another link yes. and like raptors or something yeah. like that. And that's just clever girl. <laughs> Shoot her! Shoot her! <laughs> So, yeah, okay, yeah, so that's exactly it. Because you can imagine, like, this frantic, frantic scrabble. This whole movie's a frantic scrabble, man. Apart mm. from when, like, 
badass Annie the Coot is in town, man, obviously, because yes, we can relax when she's on board. But everything from Jones' perspective, it's just frantic, frantic. So, yeah, it's crash, crash, tumble, tumble, tumble. Cave, and then, cave, we've got a cave, this is good. And then, yeah, from there, exactly. Your, that, that was a, like a sexy Roy Orbison links, <laughs> and it did things to me. <laughs> Wowzers, I've never been so immediately derailed. That was... <laughs> yeah, so, and then pad, pad. Pad and then like the uh, the bad guy appear on the top of the crest that she fell from the caves down there. He scrambles yeah. down. She gets flip out of there. Links fight mm. torn apart, man. And we cut back to like Gregory every now and again, and we hear the screams on the radio. He's getting more more livid. Can you get livid if your men are dying? <laughs> oh, I'm livid. Yeah, I, think, I, think so. I am absolutely yeah. livid. I, oh, the smoke was coming out of my ears when I heard that uh, <laughs> poor little Dick died. <laughs> I don't know, livid? Maybe he is. Yes, apoplectic. apoplectic. There Apop- we go. That's what he's yeah. doing. Absolutely, man. I prefer, li- I prefer livid. He's <laughs> just like, oh, I'm fierce angry, I am. <laughs> I could crush a grape. <laughs> Bikes are getting slightly louder. Bang! This is where we're going to get a little bit of a like scrambler chase through the awesome. uh, dog soldiers style sort of sparser woods. So we've got a little bit of room yeah, yeah. in between. Vroom! We're doing all the jumps over the hillocks, humps and mounds, all of that kind of stuff's happening. Joan is trying to run away from this. But yes. She's going to like hunker down. We'll have a hide down, and she will sort of like jam something through the spokes of the bike. I want to send one of these dudes flying off of the bike, careening forward and gets impaled on a tree again. This is the point of the movie where the the chase kind of starts fighting back a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because she's just like, well, this is survivor mode has now yeah, truly now kicked in, in, yeah. in man. Okay. So, so yeah, she's, she's taken out a couple of people, man. But mm-hmm. it's obviously, she, this is not a sustainable thing she can do, man. Mm-hmm. So we get back to Annie. We see her just again methodically cross the river with Kilburn. Got the rifle bagged up. Um, she's quick, efficient, slick. She starts to follow the trail. So cut back to Joan. As with all of these survival movies, when you're running away from a gang, you must, of course, Graham, stumble into the gang's hideout. So she comes upon this relatively to-do-looking garage in the middle of hell nowhere with a couple of rusted things outside and an old Pepsi machine outside, but it might have a phone inside or it might have someone inside, man. And so she comes in and we got this scuzzy dude called Artie, man, but he's pretty welcoming and he's like, oh, man, you look beat up. Like, come on in, man. Joan gets a little bit of a breather. She's cleaning herself up in the bathroom. This filthy-ass fucking bathroom, man, but it's better than the the gorgeous. I think maybe she doesn't immediately trust him, even though he's nice and no, welcome, definitely. so she'd be clean up. She's always got a gun on him, or she goes into the bathroom and, like, jams the door and makes it safe and just... Yeah, well, like, right, so she's walking up to the... Uh, she, he comes out, and he's like, hey, and we see her tuck the gun into... Yeah. She hides it, man. She's like... I'm... <laughs> he comes out with, like, a, a pitcher of iced tea and a glass, and she just blasts them both <laughs> with a <her> gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're back to our lovely old man from the last episode. <laughs> yeah, hey, there! You sweet young thing. I've been waiting for company for 64 of my 78 years on this planet. <laughs> yeah, and it shoots through the iced tea, and the iced tea just starts like like leaking out, man, and then he just drops back. <laughs> Poor Artie. <laughs> So yeah, she's dead suspicious, but yeah. she'll take um, she'll take some time in the bathroom <laughs> to clean up. There's a lock on the door. She hits that home immediately, man. And just taking we're taking that like the the slight like diehard moment. We're going to pick up pick some glass out of our feet and just. 
take yeah, take they, a bit of toll. Just, it's been pretty relentless so far. And then that suspicion that made her tuck the gun behind the belt that you so rightly uh, pointed out, it comes back again and she just slinks the click back of the lock and she opens the door a little bit and she has a little eyeball through, man, mm. and she can see Artie there and he's... Oh, it's like ham radio or something. Yeah. And, yeah. and then we hear Gregory come in, man. She realises, ah, I'm just in the viper's nest or whatever, man. Okay. Yeah. She goes to escape. He immediately whips around, catches her, and then we go into like a kind of like uh, Alabama versus James Gandolfini almost without nice. without the... Uh, um, the Horrible brutality. Horror that he says, because that's, I don't like, uh, that's a bit much, but it's very impressive yeah. in the scene. But like, I don't want to go yes. down that yeah, um, yeah. that kind of a route with this, I don't think, man. But so big old slugging fight, man, uh, in this like screwed up, like rusty old, uh, rusty old garage. She gets the gun out, tries to fire it, the safety's on, you know, the classic. Chick, Artie laughs, barrels <laughs> into her, man, and they are absolutely wearing that. And she is fighting, man. She's picking up. Nice. You imagine what you got lying around on a garage, man. There's lump hammers. There's all kinds of sorts that you yes. can throw wheels. Big, rusty um, saw blades that you cut trees down oh, with. She can, like, yes. right yes. across his chest yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. under his armpit. And they're, like, oh, no. <laughs> they're really brutal. <laughs> Oh my, dude, see, this is the bit where I'm tempted to be like, yeah, Joan just starts dismembering all of yes. them, man, and brings them we all back here. We skipped right to the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, where it just goes mental. Yeah. Anvil, head. Yeah, 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 TV says whatever you can throw on yeah. a head, they're throwing on heads, man. Um, and I Amazing. think, like, uh, I think that we will kick him into a fire maybe at the end of this. Um, because then we get nice. a nice opportunity to do some good, like, stunt fire walking, which I absolutely oh, love. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it nearly as much as, like, we love squibs, man. It's that, that's how much I love that. So that's how I want Artie to go out, and it's brutal. And it also sets the uh, garage, garage. Yeah, so we set him on fire. She, like, throws something, so yeah, flammable on him, in, and then she... Yeah, would she okay. have, Does she have a quip, or would she just... No, 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 dude, like, I want, I want... Very little dialogue in this whole movie. I'm going, I'm going for like the all is lost Redford. Like, I just want people trying to survive nice. and reacting to horrors that are happening throughout the entirety of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Joan has now limped away, but this is where we cut back to uh, Annie and Kilburn, and they've been doing some serious tracking. Annie can now see this great pillar of smoke going off up here. She is very close now to Joan. Uh, Kilburn immediately gets the scent. And he leads Annie through the car. Mm. And we find uh, Joan just slumped. She's sort of finally just exhausted and spent, man. And this is where we get, like, the shot of uh, Annie leaning forward, stretching forward her hand to Joan. And uh, sort of the sun is behind her. It's all blasted out. And then there's a, on your fucking feet. And she yanks Joan up and she's like, right, we've got a, we've got a hoof, man. This is it. We're hoofing. <laughs> and we're going to be cutting back to Gregory, like, getting more and more frantic in his search, uh, like, stalking the access roads, as I said, his men between the road and the river trying to flush Joan out. They're flagging hard. Annie's going to take Joan, I think at this point, back to her cabin. And Annie's just going to patch her up as best she can. Joan's knackered. She's bullet hit. She's bruised. She might be a little bit broken, but she's uh, not critical or anything like that. And Annie's got a very, again, pulls out a med kit. She's absolutely on it. She's capable, knows exactly what she's doing. Annie gets up, tells Kilburn to stay, grabs the rifle, slings it over her shoulder in that beautiful fluid movement again. 
And Joan's like, where are you going, man? And, and he's like, clean up your fucking mess and you're welcome. Dog, stay. So now we go on and we're going to follow Annie uh, as she's stalking out through the woods. So this is where we're going to find uh, Cobb from the very start who uh, went back and said, you know, she's dead, she's gone, you've killed my mate, I don't want anything to do with this, it's freaking me out, man. And she's stalking through the woods, Annie is, and she's just looking, 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 real quiet. She knows they're getting close and there's a... Bang! She just fires straight away at the at sound, the direction man. of the sound. Just sort of straight away, nice. without even thinking, man. It's almost a hip shot. She just... Bang! Like, and you hear a rustle and a slump and a... Come on, come on! <laughs> And she goes over there and Cobb's, like, lay there. Clearly, this is Cobb's last couple of moments on this earth, man, because he ain't mm -hmm. looking too good. And he's lay there and he's just like, I'm not <coughs> coughing blood up as we do in these mm -hmm. scenes, man. <coughs> I'm, a, I'm a cop. Mm -hmm. Twist. And Annie just looks down and says, no, some good that did you. Bang! Mm. Wow. We cut back to Gregory, proudly across the access roads. He's getting less and less callbacks from his boys now. Uh, he's got kind of him and Dix kind of are the only people that he knows are around because they're both sat in the goddamn cab. Uh, he hears that last gunshot that Annie's fired off and he, he's calling everyone, no one's answering, man. So he jacks it out and he pulls his bent, broken leg out of the, or in the knee brace, pulls it out of the truck and starts to limp his way into the forest and says, Dix, get down there, you keep looking, man. He's getting more and more battered, uh, muddied, injured as he's trying to make his way through and he's got like a shotgun slung over his shoulder and he's cursing all of the way and saying he's going to get this goddamn son of a my god if you knew what was going to and he's just ranting away to himself making his way through and through and through the woods and he comes out to the cabin and he's like right okay I got you here man and he goes up and he kicks open the door and he's slumped and he's kind of effed up and he's completely knackered but he's got a shotgun and that's kind of all he needs and he sees Joan sat there on the sofa and he lifts up the gun and he's just about to and then Kilburn jumps out the shadows and grabs him on the arm and starts pulling him and then it grabs him on the knee and it's jawing all over him man and like Gregory <laughs> is just screaming at this point flailing around the shotguns fired wildly up in the air it sort of hit a little bit of Kilburn maybe we hear a little yelp but like the struggle is still occurring man he clearly hasn't killed him and then we see Joan lean forward she grabs the gun and as Kilburn is pinning Gregory down to the floor. She just blows him away in two quick bang, bang! Manages to get wow. the safety off. She's learnt from her mistakes, man. He's gone. Brains all over the wall. And this is where we're going to cut back to Annie. She hears the gunshot. She knows she should go back, but she can hear the rumble of the truck up ahead, man. She knows Dix is on the road. She knows that more enemies lie ahead. Mm -hmm. So she gets up there. She will somehow sort of taunt him out of his truck and he's going to be looking at Kind of what Annie looks like, the fact that she's got blood and the fact she's holding a rifle, it's even Dix can uh, put two and two together and make four. <laughs> and he goes after her. I want them to have this uh, sort of Tommy Lee Jones, Benicio Del Toro in Hunted knife fight 
uh, with each other. The rifle's knocked away. Dix hasn't got anything except his big old uh, skin and knife kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And I want these two guys to just absolutely go at it. And this is where we see, like, Annie, and she's gnarled. She's, mm -hmm. you know, she may even be coming up to, like, 70 or something like that, man. Mm -hmm. But there's this grace and natural ability to her as she moves, man. And, like, Dix is completely taken aback. And we just see him and her squaring off. She's taking tiny little nicks and lumps out of him, man. And then eventually nice. finishes him off. She takes a, a hit to the side, man. She's also injured. She knocks him out, takes him out. Uh, Dix is dead. And she makes her way back to her cabin. Uh, she's battered. Uh, she finds Joan. She finds more carnage in Joan's wake. And she sees Kilburn sort of laid on the floor, but he's he's okay, man. He's panting his heart out and he's whining a little bit, but he's only got a bit of buckshot in the ass or whatever. She leans down and she pets him. Good boy. And then she looks over to Gregory and the bullet holes and the, the yeah. blood. And she looks to Joan and just a little raise of an eyebrow. She doesn't say anything, but there's a raise of an eyebrow. And then, right, let's move. Nice. And this is where she just walks Joan out to the edge of the forest, walks her to the road, points her in the direction down that road. Like, town's that way. Your phone should work about a mile in. No, you ain't got a phone. Take my phone. Take this burner, man. It should work about a mile in. She walks off. She turns back. She looks Joan up and down and is like, you did okay. <laughs> and then a smile, a real good smile. And then she walks off into the woods, gone. Oh. And then we cut back to a shot of the prepared rabbit at the start of the movie over a spit cooking. And we just see a hand reach out, take it. We hear some contented chewing. We see a chuck, a scrap, and we see Kilburn leap up and grab the uh, scrap of meat as a contented sigh and then credits. <laughs> that is not a second over 90 minutes, is it? Oh, no, yeah, dude, I think we might be like 78 minutes in that one. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I am having that. That was awesome. I loved it. I like a taut, straight-up chase thriller. No, and like just worlds colliding. There's no rhyme or reason. Yep. You don't know anything about why the bad guys are there doing the bad things. They're just there. Yep. You don't need to know that they're executing one of the guys that didn't check out. It doesn't matter. We're straight into it. Hit the ground running. Bam. Exactly, man. Yep. Okay. Well, let's not stand on ceremony, man, because I've just got so many cards of castings and ideas. I've got loads. I'm all over it. <laughs> This is it. Oh, that's what I like to see, mate. Amazing. All right. Okay, man. Okay. Well, I okay. Right. Good. Okay. Well, like... but before we get into it, though, I have done something for this. So I, the reason why I've got so many different casting ideas is I've done because when you start talking, I think, oh, it's a bit like wrong turn. This is awesome. I've done contemporary casting, and I've done full '90s casting. Oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> just to shake it up a little bit, so we yes, can see. Mate. Oh, okay, man. Okay, all right. I am... well, should we start with contemporary and work backwards? Okay, yeah. So let's. What have um, you got? Sorry, I'm just jumping all over your pitch. I apologise. I'm just really excited. That was so tense and so perfectly executed. Every every beat was hit that needed to be hit. 
So, some casting. Right. Casting, got, yes, uh, please. A couple of guys, right. So, for Joan, the titular Joan, mm -hmm. uh, I was thinking uh, maybe Zoe Kravitz, Rooney Mara, I thought could probably do... Ooh, okay, I yeah, reckon. Nice. I just want that, Grace. like... Yeah, great, great. Yep. Uh, and now, but this was all... Basically, all of this was because I wanted to see this actor in the role of uh, Annie the Coot Norton. <laughs> okay, here we go. And it was the minute that I thought of her doing all of these things. She st well, the minute I thought of the uh, this actor, she started doing all of these violent things, and I was like, well, that's kind of awesome. I want to see you do that. Okay. And I've pegged uh, Frances McDormand for this man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crossing all of the ones off my list because <laughs> that's perfect. Yes. I, yeah, I just so want to see her do the um, like uh, Nicholas Cage did with Pig, and I, I, I think Frances McDormand is one of the warmest, most amazing, beautiful. Mm. That's why the smile at the end when she says she did uh, okay and then smiles like Frances McDormand <laughs> will do the best smile to counter how yes. sullen and quiet she has been for that entire movie until then. Okay. So uh, okay, who else you got? Who have you got for Gregory? Nick Nolte would be my ideal. Oh, like an leader. older, proper, yeah, okay. like real, like was mar, 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 yeah, yeah. you know, that's what I like. Nick Nolte. But if we do go a bit younger, mm -hmm. I've got uh, Michael Shannon or Gary yep. Cole. Maybe would be yep. good as okay doing that villainous, cold, slightly less and shouty yeah. like Nick Nolte would be. They could maybe, I think they could play around with that. For the cop, and this did start with Cobb Fowler. Like there was, mm -hmm. a, there was a point where I was writing him and I was like, oh, he's an undercover cop and we're going to bring this in and it's going to be like blah, yeah, blah, blah. Just and I was like, I don't it. care. And that's yeah. it. So, but anyway, I would still like that. Nonetheless, I would still like him to be played by Elijah Wood, man. I would love him in that role. Oh, lovely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Just, okay. And he'd sell that desperate sweet, I'm a cop, big eyed Elijah yes. kicks in, man. Yeah. I'm a cop. And then I don't much fucking care. Bang. Bam. Dicks, I had Joel Ed Ed Edgerton. Yeah. So in Edgerton, they would have more of a, if it was Nick Nolte, you can imagine like a protege level, because it's like 30 years between them, I assume. Yes. 20, yes. More like a father-son, protege, training up, kind of handing over the baton of whatever organisation they're part of. Well, actually, we could get Edgerton on board for directing as well, actually, because he does a mean job of that. That is a great shout. Who have you got for director? Uh, I'm, well, I'm Edgerton's uh, a great shout. I, I, I genuinely, act, speaking about it, I really wouldn't mind, and I like him in the cameo, just in that smaller role as yeah, Dick. Yeah, yeah. I think he'd really use himself very, very well, man. Um, other than that, I've got obviously Solnier, man, uh, because that's <laughs> that's uh, who I was referencing uh, copiously. We got okay. I've got a ton. So for Joe, my contemporaries for Joan, I had um, Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I had Samara Weaving. Yeah. And I had a younger, early 30s, I had Melissa Barrera, who was, she's in the last two Scream movies. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For um, for Gregory, I had, an ov I mean, it's an obvious one, but I had Walton Goggins. <gasps> oh, why didn't I think of Walton Goggins? <laughs> why am I not always thinking of Walton Goggins, I don't know why Graham? you're not always thinking of Walton Goggins. Oh, that's such a good shout. And I also had oh. Timothy Oliphant because I was thinking of Walton Goggins. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting Timothy Oliphant. I was looking at you, but I was talking to her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, okay, man, yep. I, um, then I had Josh Holloway. Might be quite he good. He would be brilliant, definitely. I'm really against type in a kind of stunt casty kind of way. Um, 
Paul Rudd. Nice. Okay. 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 I can imagine because we don't really see him stretch out, but it's, sometimes it's quite nice to see when an actor brings the the dark side because they're, they're never given the chance. So yeah, I was just imagining like the baseball cap and the check shirts and the the hunting rifle and the kind of and then it would be nice to see him grubby. Yeah, I reckon he could bring a coldness to it. I think, and like, yeah. and maybe like a little bit of warmth at the beginning when they're around the, the campfire, and he like he's chatting to the, his men, knowing that he's going to execute one of them. Yeah, and then he's just quite friendly. So I thought maybe Paul Rudd, but I don't know. That was a that was a left field choice. I, well, I, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of excited by that idea actually, man. And I really also would really like to see him just get mean, just pure mm. mean. Now for Annie, I had Angelina Jolie because I did. I wasn't thinking 70s. So I was thinking like a little bit younger. And I yeah I. Yeah, absolutely flexible as far as that goes. And then I thought Jodie Foster. Yeah, she would be amazing. Would be really, really good. Absolutely amazing. And then my top two in reverse order, Susan Sarandon. <gasps> oh, <wee. laughs> oh, no. I think she would be so oh, badass at that role. She'd be amazing. Like, she would be really yeah. good, man. And my top choice... And I, this is the first thing I wrote down when you introduced Annie, mm-hmm. like looking at the scene, capable of slinging the rifle with um, Kilburn. I just wrote one word. It just said Streep. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, because this brings it full circle to the River Wild. Yeah, Meryl That's... Streep. Oh, <laughs> mate. I mean, I'm I... totally sold on Francis McDormand. 100%. Yeah, well, dude, now all I want to do is like... Now the sequel, it's a okay, team up with the sisters. Then Annie, yeah, 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 she hooks up with her sisters and it's the other two. Right, for 90s, because this okay. is a very 90s kind of film, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's so 90s, it's incredibly 90s, man. Right, for 90s directors, I had Catherine Bigelow, mm-hmm. Rennie Harlan, oh. Joel, Sch- Joel Schumacher. Schumacher, he could start to do his Tigerland, I'm going a bit indie, I'm yeah. chucking my budgets down a bit, I'm apologising, 97 for uh, Batman Forever, this yes. is my... Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rennie Harlan, obviously, because of Cliffhanger. Oh, there'd be so many good explosions as well. We need, like, so the garage would need to explode. Oh, we could get, get Jan de Bont post speed. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, and he, again, we want, like, he's bringing the grit. He's like, yeah, I've done the blockbuster. Now I'm going to go mm. and, like, do my little movie. So yeah. for my 90s casting, for Joan, I had this three. I think one's more, oh, two, okay. one's more 2000s, I think. So for Joan, I had Eliza Dushku, because obviously oh. I love Wrong Turn and I love Eliza Dushku. Absolutely, yes. Then I also had Alicia Cuthbert. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And I think this is my 2000s. Maybe Alicia Cuthbert's 2000s, I don't know. I think Alicia Cuthbert is, t- yeah, probably like 2000s, maybe. Okay, so we'll do 90s straight 2000s then, Yeah, sorry. that's fine. Yeah, well, uh, wrong turns 2004. Yeah, that's probably, you're probably right, yeah. Okay, so, um, and then Jessica Biel. Oh, Biel would be absolutely she could do, I can see, she could definitely sell that transition from skirts to badass. I can imagine her making a, a makeshift spear or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a yeah, Rambo yeah. kind of way, I yeah, can imagine. Yeah, yeah, that. that's it. Doing some whittling, like, uh, just after the Puma incident, the uh, Lynx incident, man, yes. Okay. So I was going to say, like, a, a name that I put down for, like, 90s, and we're going, like, more to the earlier part of the 90s, but uh, maybe Ashley Judd. Yes, I was thinking Ashley Judd, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Gregory for the 90s, bit young, if you were doing the young one. But we could do one for Dix and one for because one of my one of my Gregory's is young, one of them's old. So we oh, could well, there we rotate go. we could rotate the casting. Gregory, yep. I had Kiefer Sutherland. Oh fair. Yes. <laughs> yes. So but I he like... would be a good Dix if we're going older. So my older uh, my older Gregory was JT Walsh. Oh 
<laughs> He's written it down. He's written down JT Walsh. I am <laughs> and for Annie, I've still got Streep and Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. It still yeah. works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, mate, I love that. Oh, yes, and JT Walsh would be such, such a wonderful Gregory. A 90s director, John McTiernan for the 90s would be good. McTiernan would be fantastic with that, man, absolutely. So that was my 90s casting. Oh, dude, that was a wonderful surprise. And uh, I'm still red from the J.P. Walsh uh, <laughs> happening. <laughs> so well, thank twice you in so a row we've that, done mate. that. Mate, there we go. That wraps up my pitch. Thank you uh, very much for listening to the frantic, uh, violent journey that was uh, Joan's Angel. That's one of my favourites. So, Graham, man, uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the amazing surprise of... <laughs> Like the gift of the 90s cast. That was absolutely beautiful. I, oh, I really appreciate that, man. That was great. But I think we've had mm. uh, more than enough my yammering on. Uh, may I uh, may I timidly uh, and earnestly ask you for your pitching kind, sir? You may certainly ask me, and I will gratefully accept beautiful. and render the salad unto Caesar for my pitch of Starlight Stanley. Now, I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you can cast your mind back to those hazy days that there might be a bit of a surprise coming your way. Uh-oh. Oh, oh Christ. And this I is... thought the 90s thing was a surprise. <laughs> no. You can't double surprise double me. Double surprise. <laughs> so I was thinking after last week's episode, which I enjoyed immensely with Sicilian Defence and uh, White Moonlight, I was thinking that for a while now we've done really, really big, long, epic pitches, mm -hmm. which have been wonderful and they're really, really in-depth. And it's been a few episodes since we've done some mini pitches and I kind of feel I felt that it's a shame that these ideas come to us and we just disregard them and focus on one so what mm -hmm. I've done ah. is I've done three different pitches for Starlight Stanley semi direct not as in-depth as say Sicilian Defence but we can work on them together and make three short pitches how about that I am my boots are on and I am leaping in feet first. That sounds fantastic. Okay. So I've got the three pitches and they'll be relatively short. So I might as well just I'll start as I've done one, two, three. Okay, so Starlight Stanley, pitch number one. Right. This is the one I wanted to do, but then after a while I thought, oh, I really want to do this. Because the mm. idea, because the the concept of this one made me stop and laugh out loud in the street when it came to me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? Pitch one for Starlight Stanley. Okay. Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends presents <laughs> Starlight Stanley. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, we can't put the theme tune underneath my pitch. Oh, yeah, yes. sorry, I'm not going to sing any of it, I promise. <laughs> so I think we haven't done a children's film. I was like, oh, yeah, I sat on the toilet the other day and I thought, we haven't made a Thomas the Tank Engine film yet. Yeah, what are we playing at? <laughs> we still haven't done that. Dark Side Thunder was tailor-made for a Thomas the Tank Engine movie and we just didn't do it. What an yeah, open goal. Yeah, he'd be the rogue, rogue engine that comes into the <laughs> yes. yard, man. The idea of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends presents Starlight Stanley is on the Isle of Sodor every day. Uh, Thomas is happy being a very useful engine, moving the trucks. He's a very useful engine, moving the trucks mm -hmm. and the carriages around the island. Everything's very bucolic and lovely. And one day, Gordon, the big engine, the big proud 
Is he the big green dude? No, that's Henry. Gordon Sorry. Is, Gordon's the blue one who's uh, the biggest and yep. fastest and strongest and he's very proud and arrogant because he gets to pull the um, the lovely carriages. and you know. So anyway... Topham Hat, who Sir Topham Hat, sorry, who, who kind of Come runs the... Graham, Topham Hat did not spend seven years in Sir School <laughs> to be called Topham Hat. <laughs> he did not indeed. Um, so Sir Topham Hat, who runs the the railway, I believe, um, he orders Gordon to bring all the finest carriages to the yard, and Gordon's very proud. He takes the carriages. Thomas hooks them up for him, and they shunt them along, and he takes them around. And so Topham Hatt says that these carriages are going to be refurbished and they're at the absolute best of this, no expense spared refurb of the carriages because these are going to be taken to the mainland and a train is going to take them around the world on an around-the-world tour, a bit like the Orient Express kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. obviously... Gordon's like, well, it's definitely going to be me. <laughs> it's, defin- it's definitely going to be me because I'm Gordon. Right? <laughs> and then obviously that night, Gordon, very proud, pleased with themselves, bragging to um, James and Edward and the others. I don't know too many. I started off sounding like I knew so much about Thomas Tank Engine. Dude, you did amazingly. You do, you do. I know a bit. You like that. I yes, used to, yeah, to love it when I was lived. kid. I used to love it when I was a kid. I had like the bedspread and the blinds and the... And the oh, um, and the oh did you have a little Thomas stuff. toy? Did you have a choo-choo? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, amazing, of course. <laughs> You're like, Luke, fucking idiot. Gordon, was my, Gordon was my favourite, and in no way has that rubbed up on my personality at all. <laughs> Yeah, I don't often puff up my chest and yeah. declare I can do things really well, man. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, Gordon's bragging about how it's going to be amazing. He's going to go around the world. He's going to leave the island of Sodor to the mainland and it's going to be great. Yeah. Then uh, the next day on a normal day, Thomas is going around the island, moving the trucks around, lining things up. And a rusty old signal line breaks or it just kind of falls down and something. And the, the, the track gets shifted onto another track. And Thomas accidentally goes down this track. We'll do a nice little uh, bit because this is like, we're still, I, I assume it is still the lovely stop motion thing that mm-hmm. it was when I saw it a while back. That's brilliant news, man. A while mm-hmm. back, yesterday. Um, <laughs> so we'll have like a cute little goat will be like munching around yes, yes, and it'll like get and something caught on it and it'll meh, meh, and then run <laughs> off, but it'll switch to the tracks. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I like that. And uh, Thomas careens down this disused track <laughs> by accident. Uh, maybe it's a, it's sun it's at sunset and he finds himself um, in a dark and disused scrapyard with these and he kind of gets lost because the the tracks are all going around the big circle because it's this old scrapyard. Yeah, track. and there's those like turny turny yes, turny turn track things. things he's turn on tables, his own, bad, yeah. and he gets all kind of turned about and he gets lost and he's sad and he's you know. Worried he's going to be stay there. He's going to be. He's not going to get home. He's going to have to sleep outside. He'll get found in the morning, but he's going to be late for work. And um, and we can do that. It's getting like kid scary. So it's not really scary, but it's like yeah. maybe one of the bits you'll remember as a kid where you're like, oh, that bit was kind of creepy, wasn't it? As the night settles and the sound carries, he starts hearing a song, someone singing, and he trundles around the yard, and he finds maybe under a tarp or something this old, really, really old locomotive that's like half built rusted and is singing away and it's crooning in a lovely like American accent I, I always when I was writing I was thinking like a Frank Sinatra kind of croo- <laughs> a croony voice <laughs> can like the smokestack on the top of the chimney be at an angle like a be cult like, hat kind like of a like thing a jaunty yeah, angle, yeah, yeah, please yes. please <laughs> 
And Thomas says, I'm lost. Who are you? Why the, why, what's going on? And I've never been here before. Are you OK? And the, the engine says, I'm, I'm Stanley. I've been here for many, many years. I, I was built in, um, in America. Mm. And the, I, I was going to be the most wonderful engine that ever lived. I was going to carry celebrities on a big world tour for their music. Um, and I've I, had them all sing inside I, me. I've had, I've had all, yeah. all of them, been, and we were going to go on this lovely tour. And I was sent over to the mainland uh, for refurbishment. And I never heard back from anyone, and I've just been left here. So I think maybe like the company... He was, he was the Starlight Railways or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Went, went bust. Or yeah. the war happened, but we can't mention the war because it's Thomas Tank Engine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. Let's just do, like, at this point, let's just slam a really, like, <laughs> like we'll get some newsreel footage of the actual war and we'll just splice it in halfway through. <laughs> By the way, kids, this happened. Like, I want it to be like... With the swastikas advancing <laughs> across it. All converging on the island of Sodor. <laughs> I want it to be like the bit on, like, in The Fifth Element when Leilu watches, like, she's learning about all the horrors of man for the first time. <laughs> we get the, the newsreels of like speeches on the balcony at New <laughs> And then just like hard cut straight back to Thomas's Thomas face and his big like... eyes like looking round. <laughs> Slowly backing away. <laughs> yeah, so Stanley is there and he's rested. He's just been there all, all his life really. Thomas goes back or in the morning or um, maybe Stanley like tells him how to get out, and Thomas goes back and he tells the news to everybody, and he bring maybe he brings Edward with him because Edward always wants to help out. He's a good, he's yeah, a good yeah, engine. He's a lovely well. engine. He's yeah, a lovely engine. And this is where it, the pitch kind of runs out for the middle part, but they convince um, yeah the the controller, controlly controller, controlly controller, to help get this engine out and. They... Well, that, like that's a boon for the railway getting an, mm. an, an antique, and the, surely uh, the controller's going to come back, and he's going to be like, "This is this is the, one of the most Absolutely. beautiful machines. Yes. How can this have been under my it's nose ab- all these oh, years?" Yes, exactly. It's an absolute rarity. They're going to restore yeah. it, and it's going to be a museum piece. Yeah. Um, and maybe in the evenings while he's getting restored, Stanley's singing to the oh. to everybody. He's doing the like midnight concerts oh. to the engines, singing to sleep, oh. doing his. Don't know front. much about history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fly me to the moon. Oh. Lots of croony songs and yeah. the engines to start. Even Gordon, who's like, look, get him out and of the way. And that's fueling montages of everyone getting like fixing him yeah. up and yep. And. Um, Gordon at first doesn't like the attention that Stanley's getting. He doesn't like the fact that he's parked next to him because he's really dirty and grimy and I'm shiny and lovely. He doesn't like it. Mm. I thought I had a, a scene which I thought might be quite tragic in that. <laughs> After the war montage. <laughs> Everyone starts falling in love with Stanley. Yeah. And he's singing and they're talking about him. And there's this big new project that's come to the island. Don't kill Stanley. I'm not going to kill Stanley. Like, okay, um, cool. And Gordon's getting more and more <laughs> sidelined and he's not being used to pull the carriages around the island, the express carriages. Maybe Stanley's been used it in a kind of yeah. wonderful celebration of locomotive design and history and heritage. And then I was thinking that um, Gordon convinced his driver and his fireman one day to repaint him in the Stanley style, like colours. And it's like he's trying, like you have a, a oh, scene of him on his own. No, 
uh, he's like, oh, get people who don't do it very well. So it's yes. a little bit like, yeah, yeah like it's all bad. Homer's makeup it, shotgun he's, style. He's kind of singing to himself to try, but he hasn't got a very good singing voice and he's just trying oh, to replicate it. Oh, no, I'm going to cry, man, like Stanley. And then maybe in the one morning he tries to do it and he comes out and it rains and then the paint just like streaks off him <laughs> and it just gets even more muddy and humiliated because he's trying to get back some glory. But that's when like but, someone comes and gets him and they're like, oh, no, this paint isn't what makes you amazing. It's you underneath and this is what, let's clean you up. Let's get you back out, Gordon. We've missed you. So we will need to have some kind of skullduggery going on between, like, word gets out that Stanley's been found and he's worth a lot of money and maybe people... The previous owners or, like, the family of the the previous owners. the previous owners or the family of the railway Mm -hmm. want to come and buy him because they say they're going to put him in a on a beautiful line and he's going to run all around America like he wants to. But really, they're going to put him in a museum. Yeah, yeah, he's going to the Smithsonian or something. Yes, something like that where he's never going to run, he's never going to sing, he's going to be in a sealed hermetic case where no one can hear him sing oh right. my god man so yeah he, they're gonna and he's like them. at that point we'll have like like what's a museum and like they'll be like yeah. it's a place they send you where you can't move and you you can't yeah. you they take you away well, that'll be, the, that'll the, be the mystery like they think he, he will find out like thomas will find out that he's going to be put in a museum so uh, that'll be the third act when he's on the mainland the third act kind of heist or escape from isle of sodor with the help of um the controller they get off to the mainland to rescue or expose the plan and rescue um, Starlight Stanley by making him drive on the mainland in front of the the family who are going to buy him, in front of the people, and he sings, and he's got a beautiful whistle, and he he takes the trains around, and everyone everyone realises how wonderful it is just to have him moving and, and, and being, you know... Doing a party. And that's where, like, the, the the father, like, turns. He's like, it would be a goddamn crying sin to have this thing yes. inside a museum. How could, you, yeah, yeah. how could we possibly have that? And then, in the end, they decide, um, Gordon says, at the end, he says, okay, one of them become good friends, and he say, he helps save the day, and Gordon's, and mm-hmm. as a reward, Sir Topham Hatt says to Gordon, thank you so much for saving Starlight Stanley, and Gordon, I would love it if you take these carriages on their tour around the world, so which Gordon would say, of course, it would be an honour, but the honour should be Starlight Stanley's. Yeah. And so Starlight Stanley gets to do be like the Orient Express and sing his way around the world and gets sent off the island of Sodor with... The, you know, Thomas and his friends are waving goodbye and yeah, having yeah. a little sing-song in under the um, cover of Starlight as he trains away. Oh, oh, dude, Starlight Stanley. <laughs> that was pitch one for Starlight beautiful, Stanley. Beautiful, <clears throat> That was an absolute delight. And I haven't thought about <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine for so long, man. So are we going to have... Uh, I, I'm not sure if Ringo still does the voiceover for no, Thomas. No, I don't think he does. To quickly cast it, I would have Ben Wisher as the voice of Thomas. We'll get Paul King Great to direct show. it, obviously. It's basically going to be Paddington... <laughs> Voice like Hugh Grant will be Gordon, um, yeah. Ben Wishaw will be Thomas, Brendan Gleeson as uh, the Henry maybe or the narrator. Bang! There we go. Brilliant. Um, and for Stanley, I'm not sure. We need a. Uh, we might get like a. We'd probably get a uh, an actual singer. Well, dude, I was thinking Josh Groban. Yeah. Okay. Done. Perfect. Groban. Because he's in kids' movies. He's got and he's really funny and very good natural on-screen presence Perfect. as well. So there we go, man. That's a whole movie right there, mate. Mate, like we made up eighty percent of that. We just made up right now. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's pitch one for Starlight Stanley. 
pitch number two. This is a bit of a 180 degree turn in tone. Oh God. Okay. Right. So, wait. Thomas wait, Tank wait, Engine. Like, like, okay. Check it out. Thomas Tank Engine. Live face lemon face. Yep. Pitch two. The Blitz. <laughs> 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 right, World War Two. The Blitz. Following Luke. a bomb and the track of the bomb as it goes and hits a train. <laughs> <laughs> it's a train that crashes into an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> And Starlight Stanley is born. <laughs> the drums come back. <laughs> All right, so it's the Blitz. It's World War Two. <clears throat> right, the Blitz. Cool. Um, East London. Stanley <laughs> by day is a normal Bobby mm-hmm. um, in his little neighbourhood. I don't know, in Bow or Mile End or, or whatever it is. Um, and then by night, obviously, he's a night patrol for the Blitz, like making sure everyone's got their lights off. Yeah. And as he goes on his little patrol, I guess, or his beat around this mm-hmm. little neighbourhood. Obviously, he sings songs, and it kind of calms people down, oh, and they right. give him the name of Starlight Stanley as he's mm-hmm. just kind of wandering around doing his bits, keeping the, the spirits up. Right, by the, can I just interject and say I love Stanley already he's, a lot? Yeah, he's a lovely Carry dude. On. He sounds amazing. And it's, it's going to be very much... This is going to be very much kind of a East End London knees-uppy kind of folks together. Oh. They wake up one morning after a raid and, you know, they're refixing their shops with those signs mm-hmm. more open than usual and stuff like that. <laughs> but they've, there's some strange hap- <laughs> strange happenings have been been going on, like, un- in the underground station and stuff. Like, maybe some bodies have been found that don't look like they've been... Blitzed. Blitzed. They don't look like they bombed. They just... Maybe they're kind of torn up a bit like an animal did in. Maybe maybe the zoo was hit last night. Yeah, 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 yeah. When the gorilla got out last year. Yeah, exactly. Um... So this kind of happens and happens more and more and there's talk around there, but uh, Starlight Stanley is trying to keep everyone's spirits up and the community are rallying around. And I'm going to rattle through this one. That's and right, then yeah, they do. What happens is they find out that inside the doodle bugs, inside these V2 rockets, um, they they are like monsters, these genetically made monsters. Oh, mate, oh, my God, oh, and my this, God. This Nazi plan is to, like, <laughs> drop these over London, set these genetically engineered <laughs> monsters loose... And um, let them wreak havoc like that. It's a new <laughs> weapon in terror. It's a new... Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. The tone of this, I'm thinking like an attack the block kind of tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And what they, they maybe they kept that... Like, <laughs> you find these monsters during a raid underground and they, they kill a couple or maybe they capture one and one of them's like... Hey, go blimey! That, <laughs> like they recognise like, the, <laughs> the monster is actually like they recognise the monster is like an airman. It's like a captured British pilot that's been genetically engineered and sent yeah, back yeah, over yeah. Oh to like God, install man. even more terror <laughs> amongst the uh, <laughs> by, by running around the, the street shouting, "Hey, go blimey!" <laughs> Did you see that? That's Derek, that is. It was Hurricane Pilot, I swears. <laughs> okay, man. So the, the, big right. na- the big Nazi scheme is that they are genetically modifying prisoners of war, putting them inside doodlebugs, sending them back over to London to recover. <laughs> it's probably a very insensitive movie, but we're going to go for like a high Right, I'm in, tone. man. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So okay. Starlight Stanley and the plucky. <laughs> Um, group in his little neighbourhood get together to like <laughs> to capture or kill or to round up all these monsters and put an end to this and they figure out um, that someone, maybe Stanley they figure out that the sound of a Rolls Royce Merlin engine which is the engines, very distinctive sound of an engine used in Spitfires and yeah. various other places yeah. um, 
they get one because they find that the sound of it kind of triggers something inside these monsters. So they rig one up and put it inside. They find the nest of them or something. They put it inside the underground and they turn it. And because the sound is so distinctive and so um, British, it really... Quite evocative. Yeah, evocative. It kind of unwashes their brains and brings back the patriotism. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine everyone sat there like, I want to destroy your knees, your knees, your knees. Up by the brown, knees up by the brown. The sound of these British Merlin engines turns the monsters back onto the good side. So maybe, I don't know, a plucky scientist from, um, you know, from the government comes and helps out. Yeah, the big city, man. Yeah, yeah, of course. She'll be the love interest with uh, Starlight Stanley. She'll figure out that they're airmen. She'll figure out the sound of the the engine and... And obviously they save the day and we'll probably figure out a way of them <laughs> using these now genetically modified British pilots and now super pilots. So they yeah. send them back over to yes. Germany yes. and they're like even yeah. better and they like win the war. So I, I like what well, I want the um, the sign that they have become super pilots are like their beautiful pencil moustaches <laughs> that grow in or something like that maybe. Oh, it'd be so dumb. Oh, uh, mate. Yeah, and that Starlight Sunny is kind of like the the knockabout George Formby is kind of oh it's happening in Frank Spencery, a bit stupid, a bit clumsy, but he's got pluck and he's got heart, and it, you, you could definitely imagine it as like an Ardman animated. Yeah, dude. Oh my goodness, me. Uh, yeah, I'm 100 percent in. Edgar Wright, or give him a bit of budget, or get, or definitely get him on writing duties. Mackenzie Crook would get oh. the would get the humour. He could be Starlight Stanley. He could be Starlight Stanley. There we go. And we're going to have Toby Jones in there, obviously. I'm going to have Luke Evans as a handsome pilot with a pencil mustache. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> okay, so that was pitch number two for Starlight oh, Stanley. Shit. Right. Uh, I, I'm I'm giddy, Graham. I am quite literally giddy. <laughs> so keep on going, board man. Of Stan- uh, Starlight Stanley's. <laughs> All right, third and final pitch for Starlight Stanley. <laughs> Wowzers, trousers. This Starlight Stanley is an 80s body swap style action comedy coming of age teen drama. (laughs) I think I've made Luke choke to death. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Yeah, carry on, carry on. I'm back, I'm back. Yes, as I was saying, it's an 80s body swap style action comedy coming of age team drama. What what could be more simple than that? (laughs) Okay, okay, right. So Stanley is an awkward kid whose family have relocated from England to California in the 1980s. Um, His mother unfortunately passed away a while back and um, his father is trying to keep everything together. And they've relocated because his father is now working at, no, no, IBM or Microsoft or some big um big new tech thing big new tech firm and he's got a top secret job working on some top secret computer chip and stanley is finding it tough um at school because he's not used to like he's he's quite english um he's not used to the american high school so he gets bullied and pushed around he can't can't quite fit in but he finds peace at the local arcade where he's really great (laughs) at this racing game called starlight (laughs) highway which is like a cruise in usa or outrun type sunny arcade game yeah and it's there that he meets a girl called stace <laughs> who is secretly a gamer um although she suddenly didn't know she's a cheerleader at school and he's seen <laughs> her he's seen her around school and has like avoided her or 
Um, but he bumps. Yeah, into we'll, her have, we'll have a couple of like shots of her like looking disapprovingly at the bullies bullying him in the school. So we'll we'll introduce her Jess in the background. She's definitely like... aligned with the bullies or the jocks. But yeah, cool. So. Okay, okay, cool. And then he meets her at the arcade where she's <laughs> on her own playing some games. She's a bit of a gamer, and they kind of have a little bond over a game they're playing. I don't know. Maybe they play Street Fighter or something. Or yeah, it's the eighties. Yeah. What does it matter? Um, Double Dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, and then, but then she suddenly, when she sees her mates all gathering, she kind of immediately abandons him. Yeah. And she's off and with her cheerleader friends, jumps in the back of a convertible, do a few donuts, and they're out of the, the parking lot. And, and then one day, out of boredom at home, um, he's left alone once again in the evening. Dad's still at work, and there's some money on the counter for some pizza and some um, pop or something like that. Yeah, a bit of root beer. Yeah. He goes to his dad's computer in his office and he, he's looking at all this weird fancy tech that the dad's got in the office and maybe uh, he spills some um, cola on the, the computer. Yeah, some get, of the root beer that he had with yeah, his burger earlier, man, definitely. Gets an electric shock and like, oh, cleans it up, but everything's working, it's fine. But he gets a shock, <laughs> it gets a shock from the new chip. Right? Blue 80s lightning, cute yes. blue 80s lightning. <laughs> yeah, hair burnt out. Yeah, yeah. Next day he wakes up and... He's like making his breakfast, and like maybe he goes to turn on the radio, or something happens, like it's a spark, and the radio like shorts out, or something like that. And he's like having these weird reactions to things. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. maybe he puts his Walkman on and he's listening to a song, and he goes to say goodbye to his dad, and the voice of the song comes out of his mouth, or something Ooh, like that. I like that, yeah, definitely yeah, that. Like that's weirdly amazing. Weirdly interacting with electronical equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously he goes to school, and he has a. Um, just a really rough day at school because everything's going wrong for him. He's like this clown now. He's in the science lab and maybe he accidentally electrocutes the teacher and he gets sent sent to the um, gets sent to the principal's office. Or he actually electrocutes the school bully and he gets beaten up and all these kind of things. So it's really going wrong for him. Really rough yeah, day. Yeah. And he's laughed out and he runs away <laughs> to the school and he goes to his only safe place where it's the arcade and he's walking around and he sees Starlight Highway and he's just got one quarter and he thinks... Every, no, I'm just going to do it. Puts in um, his quarter, presses a button, and bam, he's in the game. So that was where the budget yes. was. So now yes. he's in Starlight Highway, the game. And then it will, we'll have like a, a team racing Miami Vice style neon. You know, highway chasing. Right, yeah. So, like, what does that look like? Are we are we going for like the game effect, or are we? No, are we, no you game know, effect. Actually, we're going like he's proper the luscious. We'll we'll ramp up all the colours and contrast, man, and make it yeah. Barbie a bit. Yeah, yeah, just a touch. But he's actually in it, and yeah. he maybe he's a non he's an NPC, he's a non playable character, but he's in this world in a San Junipero kind of way. That would be the touch yep. point. Yep. So this is the middle bit where we don't really know what's going on, so we can develop this. And he's a non playable character or something, and he jumps back out of the game into real life yeah. when someone starts playing it. So maybe in the game as a non playable character, or he's in this world, something's about to happen or something he's about to do something, maybe he's about to get attacked or maybe about to win something or he learned something and then he's back out of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, someone's yeah. put some money in it and they're just playing this racing game. He goes back into the game and he develops a life within this game where he can live out his fantasies. He's, you know, he's this cool character. He's racing. Like, has he got into a car? Well, maybe um, the game is... Um, Starlight Highway, maybe it's like Road Rash. Oh. And if you remember like, the motorcycle racing game on the Mega Drive, and if you remember for people back home, there's a really cool motorcycle racing game where you could um, punch or kick or club the other racers to win this illegal street race. But what was really cool about it is each of the other racers had names. Yep. 
Yeah. They all had character names. They were non-playable characters, but in, you would see as you're going through the race that um, X was behind you or Y is in front, and they all were different skill levels of racer. So maybe he jumps into a similar kind of situation. Definitely. yeah. Where he's definitely. a non-playable character, but he has a character name. Yep. And he's you know, getting... He and he ends jump. up, on the first time in there, he ends up somehow on the, the riding one of the bikes. And like you say, just as something like he's he's about to uh, meet the first one of these named NPCs mm. that he has to battle, that's when shoom, he's, and back, he's out. back out. Yeah. And then it's like, what? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have something that we haven't thought about yet where he keeps going back in and gets further and further some threats, some mystery or whatever, but yep. maybe he finds something in this world that his presence in that world is breaking the game or it's going to destroy the universe or something like that. But so in order for him to complete this mission that he can only do piece at a time, he has to come back <laughs> out into the real world and he has to convince someone to keep playing this game and train them up in the real world to play it so that he can put the longer when they play he's it, there. when yes. he's there. So they yes. can. So of course that person's got to be Stace, right? Yeah, of course. So they team up and training montage, so he's training the game, they're learning together, he's going in there, they're like a team. She's controlling the main character, and he's the non-playable character. Okay, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that, I don't know. Yeah, 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 that absolutely, yeah. Third act twist, she gets sucked into the game. Okay, shit. Right, so then maybe they're both in there, and they've got to somehow get their way out of Starlight Highway. St they've yeah, got to save yeah. the game, literally, like, save game, which is the game world, and yeah. get back out to the real world. Yeah, 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 yeah. and save the universe yeah. of the game and get themselves out without getting trapped in there forever. I'm definitely doing a Back to the Future ending with the flying car bit. So what happens <laughs> is they come out the, they come out the game and um, it ends with them at school, but this time, like, the dad's still been working on this chip and he's managed to, like, make this chip really small and he's got a handheld device for this chip now. Uh, so now at, at school, oh, the kid's mate. got the chip... And he's got a handheld, kind of like a Game Boy, but with this version of the Game Boy, with his powers that he's got from somewhere, um, he can conjure elements of the game into the real world this time. So he can bring <laughs> he can bring things this way. So they're at school. Stacy tells the bullies to like, piss off, and she's with she's with Stanley. And they leave, they rush out of the school, and everyone like follows them. Like, oh my god, what's happened? It's so cool. He pulls out his Game Boy thing, summons the amazing motorbike or the car. <laughs> they both get on it, and they drive off. And as they drive off, he hits the button, and they pixelate out of the real world to emerge into the game world, where they have to drive off with a like real cool night starlight drive down a highway with the synth blare in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get and some roll credits. Yes, Tangerine Dream yeah, yeah. throbbing man. Yes, yes, yes. That is my third pitch for Starlight Stanley. <laughs> Holy mother of pearl, Graham, man. You, you, I, I feel awash and spoiled with pitches, man. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in, at a campsite. I am that, that, that surrounded by pitches, man. That, that was absolutely <laughs> nice, amazing, nice mate. Flip it out, dude. There we go. That was my oh. third pitch for Starlight Stanley. Wow. It's been a long time since we've done micro or mini pitches, I guess. And I well, wanted to get some out there. I'm so glad you did. That was that was genuinely. I I I've, my head is. I've got whiplash <laughs> from going from place to place and situation to situation. But I don't even know what's happening. We started with a chase, man, and you kept the energy of that chase mm. that we started in that first pitch. You just you just Carried slammed it through. it through to the end, my friend, man. What a baton boy. Woo. <sighs>
I'm look how red. Uh, mm. So guys, I mean guys, I'm talking to you here because I'm as surprised as you are, uh, as you can tell, because uh, of all of Graham's surprises that he's, he's leapt on me and how Sorry joyful they were. I, I hope that you guys have enjoyed that as much as I did because we've just got a bonus triple bill at the mine cinema, and I think that might be the first time that's occurred. So sneaky, sneaky. This is like mm. you, you came to watch the first movie. Uh, and then around 11, when everyone should be kicking out, oh, lo and behold, Lloyd fires up another. Bang. Encore after encore after encore. Thank you, Floyd. Absolutely excellent. Well, thank you, Graham, uh, first and foremost, man. No offence, Floyd, but uh, you're getting the thanks first, man. That was excellent. I really, really enjoyed that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm going to need to lie down after that, mate. That was amazing. <laughs> thank you for my surprises. Oh, I'm glad you liked them. I liked doing it. Um, but let's see what comes out next week. Should we choose some horses for that oh, eventuality to play out? Of course. Bring on the ponies, Boney. All right. Uh, where should we go? I've selected a, a race that I think might be quite nice, if you're up for it. It's in a very beautiful city. Mm. Where are you taking me, Graham? Uh, I think we should take the train, the, the choo-choo Thomas oh, Tank Engine train, on the mainland to Bath. I am extremely up for going to Bath. That sounds absolutely lovely. Bath is a beautiful spa town. One yeah. of my favourite spa towns. It is. It's absolutely glorious. It's many, many a nice uh, old boozer as well, mm. man. It is lovely. So in Bath, we will uh, go to the 355. Mm. Big stage, higher handicap. Okay, okay, man. Okay, let me have a butcher's. 14 runners. 14, a smorgasbord of yes, runners for many us to runners. choose from. For you, I am going to give you um, one that I hope you do what I want you to do with it. Oh, God. Okay, Luke's getting sweaty but again. But you might not. I... It, I <laughs> I'll give you my alt pitch for what I would do with this film. Yes, excellent. All Next right, week. man. Far out, far um, out. So I'm going to give you Stiletto. Ooh, yes. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm, right? That's a lot you can do with that. All right, well, for you, dudes, uh, I absolutely cannot resist this name because of our shared love of uh, a certain country's output of movies, man. Um, and that is Australia. And the horse I'm going to give you is uh, Fair Dinkum, mate. Fair Dinkum. All right. Yes, so indeed. we have Fair Dinkum and Stiletto, and we are on the verge of annoying, upsetting, and offending and alienating a large portion of our portion listeners of our next audience. week. I can only, with uh, what I'm going to come up with with Fair Dinkum. Yes, uh, and, and far be it from me to apologise on anyone's behalf. You but, can apologise uh, on my behalf Melbourne, on this one. Sydney, I apologise <laughs> on Graham's behalf and mine for starting this whole debacle uh, for what happens next week. And if that doesn't make you guys want to tune in and join us again, then I don't know what will. Woo, that was high octane, high energy, wasn't it? I loved it. Oh, yeah. Well done. Oh, yeah. We did Nicely it. Okay, done, well, I guess that just leaves um, <laughs> nothing left for us to do other than to thank you, the glorious listeners. Thank you, Mr. Sell, for your beautiful pitch for Jones Angel. That was fantastic. Oh, thank you, Grant. And we hope that you join us next week. And in between now and then, we all hope you look after each other, take care of yourselves, your family, your loved ones, friends, strangers in the street, everybody around you. And enjoy movies, enjoy music, enjoy art, enjoy life, enjoy everything. And until then, goodbye. See you later, guys. Take it easy. Well, there we have it. Another episode of Racehorse Movies is over. We both hope you had as much fun listening as we did coming up with these films and recording our pitches. If you enjoyed this, please share it around with your friends and loved ones. And if it wasn't your thing, I don't know, maybe share it with someone you miffed with. Who knows? If it's not for them either, maybe you two can build some bridges over that connection. 
But if you did like picking up what we put down and you fancy checking out some more content from us, then head over to theneverpress.com to take a gander at our novels, poetry, and other bits and bobs. Anyway, that's about enough from us. Hope to have you back next time for some friendly chats and barely thought-through pitches at Racehorse Movies. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!